Could use a jacket up here. You guys feel bad down there. It's a lot warmer up here. Hand for the band up here playing. They wanted me to feel just as bad as them, so they made me come up here on stage too. I wanted to be down on the floor with you guys, but they didn't let me do it. Well, good morning, church. My name is Josh. If I haven't met you before, um, I am on church council here, filling in for Jason while he's slacking off on a beach somewhere, some much-deserved time off, and uh, he'll be back next week here. Um, this morning, um, I um, just wanted to talk to you guys about um, a handful of things that have been on my heart that God's teaching me personally. Um, and it seems like every time I find myself up here, it's been a while. I don't think it, I think it's been several months since I've actually filled the pulpit for Jason. Uh, but it seems like every time I feel, find myself up here, it's always because I'm in the midst of God teaching me a lesson, and I get to share with you what lesson I'm learning. So as you guys hear the message, know that it's stuff that I'm struggling with, stuff that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, also coming up here, uh, it challenges me, it sharpens me, it humbles me, uh, usually makes me crazy nervous. This morning's not quite so bad, um, but, um, but bear with me this morning. Um, today I want to talk about putting God first. Sounds like a good thing, right? Good title for today's message. Putting God first. But what does that mean to put God first? What does that look like when somebody is putting God first in their life? We'll get to that in a bit, but before we do, I want, just want to share a, a quick illustration to get our brains engaged. I think it's a fictitious story. I guess, I guess it could be a true story. Um, I'm not sure, but I heard it uh, part of a sermon that John Piper gave, and so we'll use it as an illustration today. So I'll read that for you here. I had cotton mouth before when I spoke. This today is ridiculous. Um, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest. How many of you in the room actually know what Reader's Digest is? Thank you. You make me feel so much better. Which tells us uh, about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Look at my seashells, Lord. Few preachers have been so effective at communicating the tra uh, tragedy of spending one's life without giving a thought of the kingdom of God. 
Okay, now of course I'm not condemning retiring early because I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I'm not condemning the purchasing of a boat. I like boats as well. I'm not very good at softball, but I enjoy playing it. Uh, or even having a pastime like collecting shells. For me, let's talk about sandy, sunny beaches about 3,000 miles south of here, about, uh, you know, about mid-Mexico on the, on, the, on the coast. That's, that's when you're talking my language right there. Um, a cold drink in your hand, or maybe even scuba diving 50 feet below the surface of the waves. But this illustration gives us uh, a glimpse into something deeper. What do you think was number one in the lives of this couple? Do you think it was God? Or do you think it was stuff? Do you think it was themselves? It was definitely something or someone else other than God. Some of you know the story I've told uh, some of you before about when Sarah and I were newlyweds um, trying to figure out the rest of our lives. I can tell you that for high school sweethearts like Sarah and I, the pressure was on. We had lots of our friends and family nudging us to get married because we'd been together for so long already. Those of you who don't know, Sarah and I dated for about four and a half years before we got engaged and married. Um, so we're pushing like 25 years together as a couple, 20, almost 21 years married. Thank you. Um, so lots of our family and friends were giving us lots of pressure, as you can imagine. Uh, we were 20 and 21 years old when we got married. Actually, we found recently that Sarah is a little older. We got paperwork from Mexico and found out she's actually the older one. Yeah. <laughs> Amy's telling me to knock it off and move on. <laughs> so uh, I swear we didn't make it five minutes into our reception when people were asking the question, when are you going to have kids? So it was, um, we had just gotten married. We're at a reception. People are already bugging us about that. Um, to summarize, I didn't want kids until I bought my truck. I had my house. I made a certain amount of money. So in my mind, I had it all figured out. I knew what the order of priorities was going to be. I knew what order we needed to complete these things in. I knew what tasks I needed to be checked off before we had kids. Long story short, <laughs> long story short, Sarah was praying her guts out because you guys know Sarah. She loves kids. She was ready for kids the second we said, I do. Um, she was praying her guts out, and eventually I caved. And even though I felt completely underprepared for parenthood, we trusted God and that he would provide for our needs. And that's how faith got her name. Uh, we were stepping out in faith and trusting God with our needs. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, parental, financial, and otherwise. As we became obedient, we felt like God was, uh, God's timing was for us to start a family. We had come to a place where we had stepped out in obedience to him and trusted him with the results. It was not easy, and sometimes it was downright scary, and I doubted at times that God was going to take care of us. Uh, I should be able to see up on your screen Matthew 6, 24 through 33. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. 
They do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his life span? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clo clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, do not worry then saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. And take care of us, he did. I didn't realize it at, this, at the time, uh, but prior to us having kids, Sarah and I decided to be obedient to what God's word has to say about our finances. Um, we, we began tithing 10% of everything that we owned, everything that we made, which wasn't much, mind you, so it made it even scarier giving out that 10% at the beginning of uh, every month or after every paycheck. I was working two, sometimes three jobs just to make ends meet. It got even tighter when Sarah quit working outside the home to stay at home and raise our kids. Uh, but we knew what God, God's word said about money and having had it molded for us in both of our homes growing up, um, we started to be obedient uh, in our giving to the church. Funny thing, though, we always had enough. Every single month, we always had enough. Um, the bills always got paid. We never went hungry. There was always food on the table. We always had a place to live. Um, I can even remember, try to get through this one without getting emotional, I can even remember out of nowhere we got a phone call, and these friends might be watching online right now, uh, we got a phone call for some friends that uh, we hadn't seen in a while, and they asked us to meet up with them for, uh, for lunch, which we thought was a little out of the ordinary because we hadn't seen them for a while. And like I said, I was working two, three jobs uh, just to make ends meet, and we had a loan on a minivan. Um, not only did they take us out to lunch, buy us lunch, but they were so excited for what they were going to tell us next that they couldn't even stand it. We barely had sat down, and they just started blurting out that God had blessed them so much financially that they decided that they were stepping out in obedience by blessing somebody else, and they canceled the remaining balance on our, on our van. Um, <laughs> they even tried to go one step up and do it in secret so that nobody knew who did it, but the, the credit union wouldn't allow them to do it. Very strange. Um, so they took us out to lunch and they told us, there's, there's no argument here, you have nothing to say, we're paying off your van and we're just blessing you with that because God has blessed us so much. Um, it was totally unexpected, totally unsolicited. We didn't ask anybody for money. We were just trusting God. God was at work again, providing just like he promised. Malachi 3.10 should be up on the screen there. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and put me to the test in this now, says the Lord of armies. If I do not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing until it overflows. Uh, my career at the hospital is another great example. 
How many of you know what a neurodiagnostic technologist is? <laughs> okay, so people who are related to me and a few others uh, know, and um, so that's what I do for a living. I'm a neurodiagnostic technologist. It's a mouthful. Um, and uh, I didn't know what one was either until I started doing it. Uh, at the time, I was building Seasport and Osprey boats. How many of you are familiar with Seasports and Ospreys? Amazing boats, but they suck to build. I will tell you that right now. Um, I was working at the fire department part-time. At the time, I was a training lieutenant, and I was teaching classes, CPR classes, safety classes, all kinds of different things, anything I could do to make a few extra dollars. Um, we hit it off really well, uh, and I became really good friends with one of my recruits at the time, um, who, by the way, uh, went on to be a career firefighter, uh, which I, I take a little bit of joy in that, uh, having a hand in his training. Um, we hit it off real well, uh, and he ended up uh, asking me to, my wife and Faith and I, Faith was about eight months old at the time, um, and remember, we're still kind of scared spitless in in uh, really uncharted territory for us, and I'm working, working, working as much as I possibly can. Um, just to paint you a little bit of picture of that, um, I worked usually four tens um, building boats, and then every Friday I worked a shift at the fire station, and I would usually work one or two more shifts that weekend and bring on a bunch of extra trainings and weeknight classes, and I was literally burning the candle at both ends. Um, definitely not something I was wanting to sustain for very long. Um, so he asked us over for dinner after we did some training on a Saturday and um, uh, for uh, him and his wife to ask us over and unbeknownst to, unbeknownst to me, his wife was the lead neurodiagnostic technologist at St. Joseph Hospital and the Peace Health Medical Group. And at the time, um, she was looking for an apprentice. And uh, um, what she was thinking was uh, EMTs, they're, they're great because they have a certain amount of medical knowledge, they know how to deal with emergency situations, and they're real good with that kind of medical-technical uh, combination. And that, that was kind of, in her mind, that was a pretty good fit. So while I was downstairs playing pool with, uh, with my buddy, she's upstairs with Sarah and Faith trying to convince Sarah uh, to take on uh, an apprenticeship at the hospital. Sarah basically tells her, um, thank you, that's awesome, it's, it sounds like an amazing opportunity, but Josh and I have stepped out in faith that God has asked me to stay at home and to raise our kids, at least to a certain point, um, and I wouldn't be going back to work. Our idea was to start a family and be obedient to that, and Josh would be the, the primary breadwinner during, at least during that time. She said, however, Josh is an EMT and a firefighter, and he's just downstairs, and he really doesn't like his job. Um, if you've ever breathed fiberglass dust for about a year, you realize that it's, it's not a great place to spend your career. <laughs> it's a little damaging to your body in a lot of ways. Uh, so I was ready to get out of that. So they called us upstairs, and she uh, said to me, how would you like to train to be a neurodiagnostic technologist? And to which I replied, what's that? <laughs> okay, I had no idea at the time. Um, this is another thing that keeps 
uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but this is another reason it kept me so humble is I wasn't even aware of the career path. I wasn't even aware of it. Uh, like I mentioned early, earlier, uh, working three jobs and all that, so to have somebody come to me and say, I want you to train to be an apprentice. You've got to quit your job and go to work full-time, in uh, in, and you're, you're getting trained full-time, but you're also working full-time. I replied to her, not only did I not know what the job was, but I also told her, I'm not smart enough for that. You're going to want to look for somebody else. Uh, she replied, let me be the judge of that, and that was 15 years ago. Um, I started about a three-and-a-half-year uh, education process, uh, during which I got board registered. I'm now nationally registered to do my job anywhere in the country. And the only reason I mention that is because it's so humbling to me that God just handed me this career. And I believe it was because we were, we were stepping out in faith and in obedience to what he was calling us to do. It's funny, in most of my teen years and my adulthood, um, I was certain that I was going to be, and I really wanted to be, a career firefighter and paramedic. My dad uh, is a retired firefighter paramedic, so it's kind of in the blood. Um, my wife joined the fire department. I have cousins that were in the fire department. I have an uncle that was a captain out in North County for 25-ish uh, years. So it's kind of in the family. It's kind of the family business at that point. Um, but now, looking back, I realize about myself that had I gone into the fire service full-time, it would have been very easy for me to become a much more prideful person. Um, I think that I would have become so kind of obsessed with how great I am as a firefighter, as a medic. You rush in, you, you really have to have the right mentality to do that job well. My dad did that job well. He served people. That's what he did. Um, I think with the, with the surrounding that I had and some of the people that I would have gotten hired around the same time, I'll, there was a, a little too much, look at me, look how amazing I am, I'm a hero for a living, you're very welcome, we come with lights and sirens kind of thing. Um, so I think about myself, not saying this about other people, but I know about myself that I probably would have become a much more prideful person. Um, so um, I find that it was really, really, really easy to become overconfident in your knowledge and abilities. In contrast, the career that I landed at the hospital had kept me humble. Almost on a daily basis, people will ask me, so how did you come to do this kind of work? And it's an opportunity. For those of you who haven't looked at the back of my truck, it's a very similar sticker uh, that I'm uh, wearing on my shirt. It says, Tetelestai. And in Greek, if you don't know, that means it is finished. So by putting it on clothing, by putting it on my, on my truck, people will routinely ask me, what does that mean? And what, it's just like that. It's a, it's a great opportunity for me to share my faith. Because they asked. They brought it up. It's their fault. Uh, so um, what's great is it, it, gives me, it gives me an opportunity to say something along these lines. This job is a total godsend. I really did nothing to deserve this career, and it was handed to me on a silver platter from heaven. I go on to tell them the story that I just told you about how my apprenticeship started, um, and that I'm so grateful to God for the opportunity to help others through what I do. 
So, am I saying that it's always easy? That seeking God uh, in what you do always makes things turn out the uh, great as you'd hoped for? No, but what I'm saying is that when you do put him first, when you do seek to be obedient to him and to do his will, he blesses that. In so many ways, often in ways that we could never have expected. Now, I want to be clear here, I'm by no means advocating for what many churches are preaching from the pulpit today about how making Jesus makes you healthy and wealthy. Not at all. To quote Matt Chandler, following Jesus is not going to make you wealthy. Following Jesus is not going to guarantee you will always be healthy. The message of Scripture and the gospel of Christ is not that following him, everything goes right, but that he is enough no matter what happens. The message of the gospel is not that everything's going to be okay. You ever find it difficult to do the right thing? It's much easier to choose to do the wrong thing, to follow the crowd, to go with the flow. I sure do. It's hard being the one to call out bullying, to step out, these are just examples, to step out during an inappropriate movie scene, to ask not to be involved in coarse joking, to choose not to get drunk at a party just because it's the popular thing to do. It's hard not to have a foul mouth, cursing and swearing when everyone around you does it. It's difficult to stand out. It's tough when you feel like you're the only one trying to live a life that pleases Christ. Or how about when um, no one is looking? Or the times you consider doing something that you think no one else will ever know about. So what's the big deal? I heard it once said, your integrity is only as good as when no one is looking. Luke 10, 25 through 37 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on the journey, came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own animal, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will, uh, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said to him, The one who showed compassion on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. I struggle, as I'm sure many of you do. We're surrounded by uh, and inundated with so many distractions in life. Things that pine for our attention as we seek to, uh, to please God and do his will. The Apostle John puts it this way. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. Some of these things are easy to spot, because it's anything that we lust after we know we shouldn't, and we covet after things that don't belong to us. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be ambitious hard workers. We should be, to the glory of God. But if it's something that God's word tells us is wrong, or pursuing it would be going against our own consciences, those are pretty easy to spot. Others are a little less obvious, like harboring feelings of jealousy or resentment, anger. I've personally been convicted even recently about this by realizing that I have had all of those feelings to those that I love the most. God's word... um, God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient. I don't even get past the first one. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disrespectfully. It does not seek its own benefit. It's not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And putting God first is really hard. I mean really hard. When I'm in the moment and I know what's right, and I know what he asks of me, but I'm bogged down by temptation and by sin, and it's only by the grace of God when I do have victory over it and do the right thing, because I am weak. Here are some practical ways that we can put God first. When we covet, remember all the things that God has already blessed you with. And give him thanks. When we're prideful, remember that everything we are and everything that we have are gifts from God. When we lust, remember that man or woman is created in the image of God. And and that he loves them just as much as he loves you and me. When we hold back charity, remember what Christ did for you. When When we are weak, ask for God's strength. When we want to lash out at others, remember that he didn't even while being mocked, spit upon, beaten, and crucified by us and for us. When it's easier to hold a grudge, remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In moments where parenting becomes impossible, think of all the times he had to discipline you. If you think uh, that your marriage is going bankrupt, invest in it anyways. When you work, do it as unto the Lord and not for your employer. I did not think these up, not any of these. These are all from God's word, which has everything we need to know how to live righteously uh, in a sinful and fallen world. We just need to read it and ask God to give us strength to live it out. It pleases him when we put him first in everything that we do reflects that. There are really two messages here. One to the believer. Those of us who have placed our hope and trust in God, our Savior, because left to ourselves, we got nothing. uh, I think that we could all use reminders like these to ask ourselves if we really truly believe what we say we believe, and and if that's evidenced by the way we live our lives. Do we trust him, or do we trust ourselves, our own talents, skills, and abilities? Do we trust our own plan, or do we rely on him for his? 
Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The second message is to those of you who have not yet surrendered your lives to Christ. You need to make your own decision about Jesus. No one can do that for you. But if you think that you will find ultimate fulfillment in having money and fame, success, relationships, possessions, just take a look at what happens to uh, most of our celebrities. I'm sure that many of them are amazing, wonderful, nice people, but look how they have it all, and yet those things fail to bring them true, lasting joy and fulfillment time and time again. True fulfillment can only come from a right relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and seeking to, save, uh, seeking to live a life that pleases Him. And I'll finish up with a final verse here. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 says, And working together with Him, we also urge you not to have the grace of God in vain, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, At a favorable time I listened to you, and on the uh, day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, how today is a day of salvation. Let's pray. I'll invite the band to come up. Father God, I praise you and thank you for your will, your word, and how clearly you've helped us to hear and see it this morning. God, we just praise you and thank you for giving us an opportunity to hear it this morning. I pray for open hearts and minds. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would um, convict us where we need to be convicted and help us to live a life that honors and pleases you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.